Pastor Craig Kessler. Thank you there, partner. <laughs> I got to get a picture. I want to have a picture of Pastor Tom and his cowboy hat when we get back up to Washington. That's going to be fun. They're going to love that. I, uh, I've been enjoying my time here in Bakersfield. I mean, we got in yesterday. I don't think I've ever been here before or flew over it a number of times, but now I can finally say I've been part of Bakersfield, and, and I know of this really great church. And I kind of feel a connection to you because I was born and raised in North Dakota, so I, uh, I've been around a lot in the oil industry, barn dances or something I'm familiar with. I could kick up my heels if I had to. Uh, and so I just, just feel that connection. And, uh, and yes, it's, uh, I knew Pastor Tom when he was just 25, 26 years old. Wow, time has gone by so quickly growing up, Tom. <laughs> now, I, what I love about Tom is, is just his fun, youthful spirit. I mean, this, when he's in his 70s, he's still going to be a lot of fun. And, and, uh, and, and we, we, really, we really miss Tom and Tanya and their family. They were a real blessing to Northwest Church. We still uh, enjoy and experience the fruits of their ministry. I'll tell you what's great about your pastor. He has the ability to spot God's potential in people. And that's an exciting thing. He knows how to interact with people and see the potential and gifting and calling in, in each person. And what he's done in our church is he's really raised up a fine group of people, especially our youth, young adults, we have a lot of young people up there who are really on fire for Christ. And they just don't say that in their words and actions. It's not just going to church. They're serving. They're doing mission trips. Uh, they're going to Bible college, some of them now. They feel a calling to be missionaries or pastors. And, uh, and so we just, uh, Tom is gone, but things are still going full throttle. And it's because, of, it's because of his faithfulness and his hard work. And I know that's what you're getting here. He's a faithful man, Tanya too, and and they're three wonderful children. So it's just been good just to catch up with them and, and uh, be together with them. So I'm blessed to be here. I, uh, I hope this morning to share a word uh, on marriage, not just marriage, but family and relationships. I believe God has a lot to say to us in his word about how to have healthy marriages, how to have healthy families. And, and I'm on our pastoral care team, and this is what I do, and, and I have a real passion for it. My heart is to really help marriages, married couples, to help couples prepare for marriage, to help people through difficult situations. Because how many of us know it's not easy to be married or have a family in our society? It's hard work, isn't it? It's really difficult. It's really challenging. And we need the church to be a place of encouragement, of giving hope, and of, and of teaching, of practically giving really good skills and teaching out of the Word of God. Because I want to say this to you this morning. It's, it's the Word of God and what God has designed marriages and families to be that's really going to give our success and really give us healthy relationships. So if you have a Bible with you, let's go to uh, Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to take a look at just some real practical biblical principles that I think can bless and heal any relationship. I mean, we're, again, talking about marriages and families, but any relationship. There's some powerful principles in there. And before we go to the Word, I just want to read a short introduction. I have some notes here, and you have some notes in your bulletin. And, and I, the, the reason I gave notes is because I think one of the values to notes is at some point after this service, 
to get together maybe with your spouse or family or a Bible study or friends and talk about what, what I'm going to uh, provide for you today. And, and it's, it's good to know what the Word says. It's good to have that knowledge. But the real change comes when I take it and apply it and put it into practice into my own life. And I think we need to be together with other people to talk about what that looks like and how to do it and even pray for each other to do it because it certainly isn't easy. So here's the, uh, here's the introduction. Most people in life hope that the future holds for them success and happiness. We really hope for a good future. And many will go to great lengths to make that happen through education and self-discipline, better friendships, improved health, uh, breaking bad habits, change thinking. And self-improvement is fine and often worthwhile. However, uh, improvement on the health of our marriages, our families, our relationships is what really shows statistically the greatest benefits for men, women, and children. Family success has nothing to do with luck or fate. And I want to say this again. It's good to have education. It's good to do things to self-improve. But what we really find is how men, women, and children do is based out of what's going on in the walls of their households, what's going on in their marriages, what's going on in the parenting, what's going on in your friendships and your relationships. That really determines how successful or, and how good lives become. And that's very important to know. Family success has nothing to do with luck or fate. It's not a question of how many times was something done or who was in charge or what kind of processes or methods were used. Sometimes a couple will come and they'll have marriage issues and they'll say, you know, we, we struggle in communicating. Would you teach us and show us how to have good communication? But what I want to share today, it first has to come not from the how-to or getting those skills, how to talk nicer to each other, but really the heart-to, what's going on in our heart. And the questions all of us have to ask are, first of all, am I committed to the obedience to the Spirit of God? Am I committed to the controlling influences of the Word of God? Am I really going to live out a Christian life? Those heart questions have to be asked because it's what comes out of our heart in our submission to Jesus, in our submission to His Word, that really brings out the change of heart and the changed behavior. I can self-determine myself to talk nicer to my wife, but, but if I don't have that heart to change and I'm not submitted to God, my efforts will probably be futile. I probably won't get a lot of uh, changed behavior from that. So there has to be a heart change. And it's not just one methodology or reading a certain book or going to a certain seminar that really makes our marriages better. It's really all of the many, many, many decisions we make in our choices when we're around our spouses, our children, our fa- and our families each day at home or in the community. It's based on a lot of small decisions on what really improves our healthy relationships. So today we'll look at a passage in Colossians in which the Apostle Paul provides biblical essentials to have having healthy relationships. And we will also see how the benefits of these principles, when lived out, provide success to marriages and families and all kinds of relationships. So I know that not everybody here is married. So these principles and what I'm sharing, it's good for your singles too. Or maybe you're, um, you're a single parent household or a blended family or whatever. These principles apply to everybody. So we're going to call this the home court advantage. How many of you are familiar with that sports phrase, the home court advantage? 
a lot of us are. If you like sports and you follow sports, you know that, and statistically it's shown, that the home team playing on their home court or their home field usually has a better chance of success. Um, a, a good example of that is our football team up in Washington, the Seattle Seahawks. When, when they play at Quest Field and they have the, the they call them the 12th, they call the fans the 12th man there. And they, it's a loud stadium. So when all the fans are there and, and these players are getting all the support, since 2003, they win about 80% of their games. They're quite successful. Uh, although this last season, that probably dropped down the percentage quite a bit. But the same team, the same players, when they go and play somewhere else in somebody else's field, they win barely 40% of their games. In other words, they, they're great at home, they stink on the road. And that's the s summary of the Seattle Seahawks. But, but also, just in, in, in our benefit and in, in having a better life, we need the home court advantage. And what I mean by the home court advantage, if we have health, if we have godly principles at work within the walls of our own household, if we're surrendered to the will of God, to the Spirit of God, to the Word of God, we are also, in our homes, and our lives, going to have our own home court advantage. I want to show you a picture of, uh, of our family, just so you get to know a little bit more about me. It's not just me and my family. I've been married to Anna for 14 and a half years, and we're surrounded by a lot of little children. We didn't plan to have this big of a family, but, uh, you know, over time we had our first three kids, and it was going really well, and I was pretty much content and satisfied right at that point. Once everybody got potty trained, I thought, okay, let's just go forward. We're, we're done. And uh, my wife really felt like, you know, I think we're supposed to have one more. And, and it was just one of those deals where when I prayed with her too, uh, the phrase that came that God shared with us is, trust me with children. But if you really look at that carefully, children, the word children is plural. So when we trusted him with children, we didn't get one, we got two a couple of years ago, Hannah and Amara. So they're not with us on this trip, but my wife and my older children are, and we're planning on going to Disneyland this week and having some fun time. But, but uh, you know, they say every family picture has a story behind it. And so this is Christmas time. In the foyer of our church, we have this Christmas tree. So we thought, well, this is a great place to take a picture and put it on a card and send to family and friends. But let me tell you the honest story behind that. It was one of the most frustrating uh, difficult times. You know, with twins, you put them both down. They don't stay there and listen to you. One goes this way and one goes that way. And it was just frustrating. And I was irritated and I was impatient. I was really struggling in my flesh trying to get this family just to sit down for a moment, stare in the same direction, <laughs> smile and make yourself look happy. This is Christmas, you know. <laughs> and so that, and that's just what it's like. And it's like that in our home too. Yes, there's times of love and it's fun, but we can also really get on each other's nerves too. And that's why I'm talking about what I'm talking about today. You know, learning how to be patient with each other, learning how to be kind, learning how to love, even, if, even though we don't feel the other person deserves love, learning how to do those things. So let's, uh, let's look at the Word, and I just want to go through some verses here and just hear what the Apostle Paul has to say uh, in his Word. Some, and you'll find this to be real practical, real practical if we can live this out. Think about it in the terms of relationships. Starting at verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Doesn't that make us feel good as believers that we're very chosen, dearly loved? He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And this is a good one that I try to lay hold of. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As we apply these principles and talk more about that, I want to take a moment just to have us look together. Where are we at right now when it comes to our society, to our country, as far as our marriages and our families? And this is going to be a sobering time. And remember, I wanted to, I'm going to, I, I definitely am going to encourage you, but this is going to be discouraging. But we want to look at just a few things. What's the current situation on the American family? Here's a sad, sobering uh, statistic. Every 45 seconds, there's a divorce in our country. A home is broken apart. A marriage is broken apart every 45 seconds in our nation. A person's first marriage starting out today has a 30% chance of ending in divorce, and the more you go, the higher the percentage is. Second marriages, third marriages, what's happening in America, they're failing. Only a third of couples going into marriage really get any type of preparation. So if you're single, if you're looking to get married someday, please take some time and not just plan the wedding day, but plan after that too. How are we going to hold together? How are we going to love each other? How are we going to forgive each other? What are things that we need to know to have a good marriage? A cohabitation, sexual partners sharing a, a, a household together, has increased 1,100% in 40 years. And let me say this. I don't want to say this judgmental, but the myth is in our society that if you live together, it's almost like if you give your relationship a test drive, you're, you're better able to make the decision if you should be married and then you'll have a better marriage. But quite the opposite is actually real, that living together, your chances of staying married decrease quite a bit. It's better not to live together. In 1930, 84% of adult households were married. Today, in our country, less than 50% of adult, adult house, households are married. That's quite a concern. That's a, that's a huge drop-off. There's more people single in America than married. And nothing against being single. That, that has a, a place and a purpose and a calling. But we need marriages. We need strong households, too, to have a healthy society. New research shows that, and I'm a data junkie, so I give you lots of information, but, but research shows that divorce costs us taxpayers $112 billion a year. Because when you break the family apart, you know, not everybody can sustain or live life on their own anymore. It was meant to be, too, caring for children, providing for each other. But through state and federal, a lot of money is given just to help people because of the effects of divorce. Um, cost of divorce, emotional agony, pain for children. They say it takes about 30 years for a child to recover growing up in a divorced home. And, and I'm not exaggerating that. I've actually... Check that out with people who, as children, came from a divorce household. It doesn't mean, by the way, that they're doomed and they're going to have a terrible life or anything like that. But the, uh, but the repercussions of divorce uh, is, is quite extensive, and it takes a lot of time to heal from that. 
And then there's the Harvard prophecy, and this is pretty sobering, and this should get all of our attention. Uh, in 1947, a, a Harvard sociologist, he did a, a report, Carl Zimmerman, in it he documented, documented that throughout history, major civilizations tended to begin and, and end in almost identical ways. He said that uh, he found that virtually every great civilization that arose began with a society built upon a strong family unit that resembled the biblical model. And he also found, and this is what's sobering to me, is that the downfall of each society was directly associated with the breakdown of that traditional family unit. So when, some, when, a, when a family gets divorced, it just doesn't affect them. It, it affects all of us. And we have, to, we have to get back on this incline of having healthy marriages, of having healthy families, because it's going to affect us all quite severely. So I gave us this sobering news, and it's discouraging. But what does all of this mean? I want to bring some hope in all of this because it doesn't have to stay this way. And there is hope because people, single people, 80% of them still want to be married. And that's a good thing. They may have lost the hope of getting married or having a good marriage because they've seen what's happened around them. They've seen the broken families or maybe come from a divorced household. But there's, they still have a heart to want to get married, and that's a good thing. There's also hope because the divorce rate has actually declined. And some good news is, is that, that out, of, out of every 10 couples, first-time marriages where it's both spouses, both their first time of marriage, seven of, seven of them will stay together until someone, someone passes away. So that's good. The divorce rate has dropped down. Uh, there's hope because those who are married, two-thirds of men and women rate their marriages as happy. So that's a cool thing, too, that those of us who are married, uh, the majority uh, enjoy their marriages. Um, listen to this. You know, with our economic situation in our country, I think some people call it the Great Recession, couples report that the recession has not only deepened their commitment to marriage, but couples who were considering divorce have put off the plans to divorce. Part of it is they can't financially afford it. So, and this is where commitment comes in, although this shouldn't be the way to get the commitment, but... <laughs> If you can't get divorced, then you, then you have to grow. You have to make some changes. You have to do something to fix this thing then. And I, and, I, and I have seen where if couples put off divorce and try to get some help and persevere, and yes, it's going to be difficult, there is a good chance they'll stay together and heal that, heal their relationship. And finally, there's, there's this hope. It's hope because that in obeying and following Christ, our households can heal. They can be repaired they can change, and we can have healthy marriages, healthy parenting, and families. So I want to go into the text and just look at the, the practical principles that Paul's saying about how can we have healthy marriages and families. And the first, the first point is we need to have Christ-like character. He says that in verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen holy people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. In other words, he's saying, be a Christian. Live it out. Just don't say you are a Christian, but be a Christian. And, 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 and the problem is, and I'll be transparent with you, the problem is, is that my Christianity, my being a Christian, doesn't always make it through the front door. It doesn't. You, you, you know how we can be toughest on those we're closest to or toughest on those we love? I'll be at the church pastoring, doing God's work all day. I'm empathetic. I'm compassionate. 
I'm trying to help people, but then I get worn out and tired, and I come through the front door, and I've done this. I'm kind of grumpy. I don't want to talk. I just want something cold to drink. Leave me alone. What's on TV? You know, and I've got all these kids wanting my attention, and my wife wants to talk to me, and, and I have certainly failed and come across at times. Like, I just don't want to talk to anybody. I'm, you know, and and I, I get snappy, and I, I can be critical, and I can be harsh. And so sometimes that my Christianity doesn't make it into the family. And that's where we really have to take a look at what's really happening within the walls of our households. I can be nice to people at church. You know, we're loving to each other. How are you doing? But what are we really like when we get home and we're with our families, when we're with our children? And so part of having that Christ-like character is, first of all, we need to know who we are in Christ. Know who you are and who you belong to. In Christ, Paul says we're chosen, we're dearly loved. We're part of the family of God. We have a great God. We serve a great God. I'm the object of God's love. I'm set apart for great things. So it's in me, with, with Him in, in my life, it's in me that I can do great things and I can be loving and kind. And, and being holy as believers in Christ, we are being set apart for His service. And where the holiness comes in, and we were singing this in worship, is, is my heart truly surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? Is he the influencing factor? Is he the boss, in other words? Part of my problem uh, growing up where I was struggled in relationships is I didn't want to be told what to do. And I had a really hard time submitting to Christ. When that changed, and as that, that is in proper perspective, then that's where the holiness work of God starts to come out and work. But I need to, be, I need to have that heart that he's the Lord, and that's where the change really happens. Again, Trying to go through communication classes or seminars, those are good things. But if I'm not really submitted to Christ and how I walk those things out, then it just becomes behavior modification. I'm trying to be, change how I behave, but that's really going to fizzle out very soon, and it's not going to be long-lasting and true change. So Christ has to be the boss, and when I know who, who I am in Christ and I submit myself to Him, that's where the transformational work of the Spirit of God takes place, and that's what changes my character, my behavior. And we need to, in that, we're allowing Christ to change our character. As a believer, you can be assured of this. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, one of the things you can be assured of is that God wants to change you and conform you into His Son's image. And that's good news. He doesn't want to leave us where we're at. He wants to continually work in us and change our attitudes, our character. And so as Paul says, as a, be, a believer, my behavior changes when I put off immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. I'm putting those things off. He almost says like a change of clothes. I'm putting off the immorality. Or in verse 8 and 9, I'm putting off anger. I'm putting off wrath, malice, slander, abusive or harsh speech. He says, put those things off because you're, 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 you're chosen and holy and dearly loved now. So put those things off and put on a heart of compassion that's showing sensitivity to those in need or those around you. Putting on kindness, being considerate, generous and thoughtful. Putting on that humility. Boy, do we need to be humble if we're going to be teachable and change. Putting on gentleness, not being harsh with each other. And putting on patience, that quality of being long-suffering and self-restraining. Being patient is probably my greatest area where I need work on. Because, again, when you have little kids, you know, I, I kind of 
go into this drill sergeant mode and I just want to bark out the orders and get everybody to submit and, and do this or I'm going to do this, you know. And, but but we, need, we need to be patient in our parenting. We need to be patient with our spouses because they have weaknesses and so do we and we need to be patient with each other. God uses relationships to make us more like his son Jesus. So part of that work and where he's conforming you, changing your character, is he's using your marriages, your families, your relationships to do that work. I read one time where it says, if you want to be free to serve Jesus, there's no question, stay single, because marriage takes a lot of time and effort. However, if you want to become more like Jesus, get married. Being married forces you to face some character issues you'd never have to face otherwise, and it's really true. Marriage is a real intimate relationship where you get really close to the other person. And, and, and it's almost like when you get married, your spouse becomes this wedding gift from God, you might say, like a full-length mirror where your spouse reflects back to you who you really are. I really found this out in, in, in being married. When I got married, and I'm not, I'm not being prideful or arrogant here, just in my, my roommate situations with other guys in college, early career, I thought I was. I thought I was a patient person. I. I thought I was um, not critical. Uh, I, I thought I was selfless. You know, giving and, and things like that. When I got married, it was it was very sobering. But being close in that intimate relationship, I was. I wanted to get my own way. Wanted to watch my own channel. I was critical. I just was very very selfish. And and it was sobering to see that. And what I really found too is how angry I could get. Uh, and I've heard people say this. I didn't know how angry I could get until I got married. And and, it, and 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 I found I can become an angry person, and, and the way anger was handled in our home is is uh, well, when I grew up, we were more passive aggressive. So when we got when we finally said something, we just blew, and it came out ugly. My wife's uh, family of origin, they they talked about things much earlier, and it was more calm tone of voice, and they worked things out. So I remember three months into our marriage, I just blew up about something, and my wife was like, what just happened here? Who are you? You know, Cast that thing out. What's going on? And, 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 and I just... And, and what happens is I found is that when I got angry when I yelled, she put up the walls to defend her heart, to protect herself, and, uh, and then we weren't getting anywhere with just resolving conflict, resolving issues. So again, I had to work on allowing God... Uh, first of all, to see what was going on and, and to say, okay, Lord, I, I, I have anger issues or I'm impatient, I'm selfish. I need your help, your work to change me, uh, to, to help me not to blow up. And, uh, and, and I had to learn other ways of, of resolving conflict. So again, you find out marriage is a discovery. You find out who you really are. and You find, you find out who your spouse really is. And when you find out who you are in your marriage and your home, that's who you really are. Again, we can be more superficial and nice in church or at work, but when you're in your own home with, your, with those you're closest to, that's who you really are. I, uh, let's see, number two, because I'm looking at the clock here. We need to forgive. Point two, we need to forgive. I bring this up because it's in the text, but also just an observation. Working with couples, we kind of brush that under the rug very quickly, and we I just notice married couples sometimes lack in going through the process of, of asking for forgiveness, of apologizing and stuff like that. And that really needs to be practiced out in a patient way in our homes to each other, our spouses, but also to our children, to our friends. If we've hurt one another, we have to acknowledge that 
and ask for the person's forgiveness and go through the extent of also forgiving them. So we need to bear with each other. We need to forgive each other and forgiving each other is not holding a grudge or a grievance. And the motive that I, that I like in the word is, is in Ephesians uh, 4.32, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So there's a motive, a new motive here. God's forgiven me of all of my sins through the cross of Jesus Christ, but I also have to remember that God has also paid the price and all the sins should be forgiven of those sins committed against me. In other words, if I, if I experience the love of forgiveness myself, I also need to extend that love and forgiveness to others, not just family, to everyone. Having healthy marriages and families, relationships is not possible unless you resolve to forgive. That has to be essential. Uh, number three, love and be peaceful. Uh, the word love in this text that Paul uses in the Greek is the agape form, basically meaning an unconditional love. It means doing what's best for the other person, even if I don't feel like it and even if they don't deserve it. And that's the power of love. That power of love, I love you unconditionally. I will not just put up with you, but I'll hang in there with you. I'll love you. I'll care about you. Even if you were harsh or critical to me, even though you offended me, I'm going to choose to love you anyway. And the power of that love is what really binds a family, a marriage together. But I also want to say to our churches, that's what binds us as churches together too. If we're committed to loving each other, despite our weaknesses and who we are, uh, that, that's a real powerful binding component. And we can change in, in, in an environment where, where there's that unconditional love. Examples of love, again, being patient, not keeping record of wrongs, listening. Boy, do we have to slow down. Our lives get so busy. But when a person feels listened to, that's one of the most tangible experiences of being loved. If you just sit down with someone and look at them in their eyes and listen to what they have to say, that really helps them feel loved. And I know up in... I'm sure California is the same way up in Washington. We're always so busy. We're just so busy. Or we're competing with screen time. There's TVs. There's phones. There's laptops. There's video games. And we need to shut some of those things off once in a while and just listen to each other. And then there's the peace of Christ. The Word says the peace of Christ is to rule our hearts. And as Christians, we're called to be peacemakers. And so in our own efforts, we have to do what we can uh, to bring peace into our relationships. Again, when I was angry, when I was harsh, when I was yelling, that wasn't bringing any peace. I had to find other ways to resolve issues, and that meant being peaceful. In our family, we're trying to uh, raise, raise values with our children in our home, and, and our line right now is that Kessels, my last name's Kessel, Kessels are going to be peacemakers and problem solvers. And so if we're not getting along, we've got to slow down. We're going to be peacemakers and problem solvers. How do we figure that out? And we don't just do that at home, but we do that in school. We do that at church. We do that on the playground or wherever we're at. And, and what's hard sometimes is, is they'll come back to you. They'll come back to me and say, Daddy, remember, we're supposed to be peacemakers and problem solvers. It's like, okay, guys, I need to, I need to dial down a little bit. Can't lose my temper. Uh, finally, number four, grow as a person. Uh, the pastor who officiated our wedding when my wife and I got married, he said, marriage is a school for lovers. And it's a school for lovers because where you're at today, you need to continue to grow and learn as a person. And there's just so many things we've had to learn. 
the attitude of that is I need to be teachable. And in that, I'm, I'm allowing the Word of God, the commands of Christ, to teach me and change me. I already talked about that. It's just a reminder. But also, I need to, ner- I need to learn how to live life, walk life out in the, in the Spirit of God. In other words, I've got I to figure out how to kill the flesh, my sinful flesh, and, and put my mind on the Spirit, which brings life and peace. I, I have a quote, and it's in your notes, and it's just, it's just a good one by Jim Cimbala. He's the author of the book uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir in New York. But I, I just love this. He says, Vows and promises alone, no matter how sincere, can never overcome the power of the world, the flesh, or the devil. It can only be done by experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, isn't it a good one? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God in our lives, working through our lives, if we're going to really love each other unconditionally, if we're going to be patient, if we're going to have healthy marriages and families. I need to, I need to learn how to say no to the flesh and say yes to the Spirit. I need to have that attitude where I'm being obedient to the Spirit and not to my own selfish desires or in those ways. So we need the Holy Spirit. Just some other practical things I want to say before we wrap up here. In, in growing as a person. Uh, pray together. Married couples, pray together. Pray with your children. They say that couples who consistently pray with each other will have a less than 1% chance of getting divorced. Mm-hmm. Prayer really binds you together, and that's where prayer really draws off. Again, the work of the Holy Spirit. We need the work of the Spirit. Attend church together. I don't say that out of religious reasons and just to guilt you into coming to church every week, but Continue to attend church together and be in community. We need to worship with each other. We need to be fed. We need to, be, we need to learn. We need to grow. And, we need, and then we need community. We need each other to support and help each other in our marriages and our families. Those of you who've been married for a number of years and where you've learned and grown a lot over the years in your marriages, younger couples need you for mentoring, for guidance, for support. We, we need you and you need us. And, and together in healthy community, we can really support and care for each other. Um, attend marriage conferences, classes. Those are good things. Have date nights. Um, uh, again, you need to reinvest, invest in your marriage. And then also I just want to touch on counseling. Sometimes as a married couple or even as a family, we're in a situation where we're so stuck we can't get out of it ourselves. I have found that counseling is a good thing. And the way I look at counseling is that if you're stuck, if you're not able to function in a healthy way, uh, a counselor is someone who, who is a teacher who should be loving, who can come alongside and teach you some things and help you to get unstuck. My wife and I have been through counseling a couple of times. It was never under uh, a, a threat of being divorced or anything like that, but we just needed to learn some things. We were stuck. We wanted to learn. We wanted to grow. And counseling helped us learn things and make our marriage better. And God also used the things that we learned to help other couples and and help their marriages and their families. And let me say this. Research shows that couples from the first sign of problems wait six years before they get help. It's a long time. A lot of water can go under the bridge in six years. So we need, I just would say, engage. If you need help, if you need support, you need to talk to a pastor or whatever, Engage in that much more quickly than, than later. And I'll say this to the men. Men, it, it's a good thing. Um, men are afraid of counseling often because they feel like it's going to be a husband bashing time. But 
And so it's the women who initiate 95% of all counseling. But I just want to say to the brothers, uh, that venue can be really helpful. So if you need help, get help. You'll, you won't regret it. Um, I'm not going to go over the benefits of the home court advantage and walking these principles out in God's way. I don't have the time. But, but basically, basically, I'll say this. Research shows men, women, and children coming out of a good marriage family where, where these principles are lived out. They live longer. They're happier. They're more successful academically. There's, oh, there's all kinds of research that shows the traditional family unit, when there's love there and patience and kindness towards one another, really benefits uh, everyone involved. And the good news is that whether we are married with a family, whether we're a single parent household, whether we're divorced, widowed, whatever, I want to say this, living out God's principles can change and transform our lives, can heal our lives, can care for our lives, and feed us and change us. So if you're, if you're stuck in a place where you're discouraged, the Word of God, I want you to know and be assured the Spirit of God will change your circumstances. And you'll need people, and you'll need to grow, and you'll need to be humble. But that, that's the great news, that, uh, that those things can happen. Um, I'll end on a quick story, uh, just a story that gave me some new perspective uh, and helped me. A couple of years ago when we had the twins, my wife and I were very exhausted just from caring for two infants. Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it was, just, it was just really, really difficult and challenging. We were both up a lot during the night. You know, we, the way we did it is when you went to bed at night, you each had your assigned baby. So just to make it fair, so it wasn't Anna always getting up. But when, when your baby cried, you were the one getting up and caring for your baby. And we were just exhausted. And, and, and let me say this, we were critical at, at each other. We were harsh with one another. Uh, we could be unloving at times, you know, and I'm not, you know, so. But, but what happened is, is one day she was feeding one of the babies and she noticed there was a, a little bump on her neck. And that was kind of unusual. Where did that come from or what is that? So she went to the doctor and I think she had an ultrasound and there was actually three lumps in there in the thyroid area and stuff. And it was a real sobering scare for a moment because, you know, when you think of lumps, you think of cancer, you think of something wrong. That's not normal. And it just began to affect my perspective. What would life be like without my bride? What would our family be like without her? And it just kind of helped me to just sober me up and say, look, every day is a gift from God. We don't know if we're going to have tomorrow or not. And so let's live each day carefully uh, and and love each other and work on I, life isn't perfect but just really do our best to live out each day as best as we can and change things where we can and grow together because we're not assured that we're going to have tomorrow the good news is Anna didn't have cancer or anything like that but I think God really used it to really sober us up and say you know what really matters it's God and our relationship with each other's and if the house is a mess or things don't get done the way they're supposed to then that'll be okay. At least we're together. We have our health. We'll go on together. So it was just a good, good story, uh, way to change our perspective. I want to end this time with Psalms 128 and just pray with you. And Psalms 128, I'm going to just share with you a paraphrased version, but it just really touches my heart, and it kind of encompasses what we were talking about today. It was called the marriage prayer because it was often sung at Israelite weddings, and I won't sing it to you, I'll read it to you, but it goes like this, and again, this is a paraphrased version of Psalm 128. It says, Blessings on all who reverence and trust the Lord, 
on all who obey him. Their reward shall be prosperity and happiness. Your wife shall be contented in your home. And look at all those children. There they sit around the table as vigorous and healthy as young olive trees. That is God's reward to those who reverence and trust him. May the Lord continually bless you with heaven's blessings as well as with human joys. And may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. And may God bless Israel. Lord, we just come before you today thanking you so much for your word. Lord, let your word, let your principles work deep into our hearts and our souls that they will really affect and change us in how we love each other, how we speak to each other, being patient and kind, caring for one another and loving, even if we don't think the person deserves it, Lord, that as men will love our wives as Christ loves the church, and as women will we'll respect and honor our husbands. Lord, for those of us who are really struggling, and going through a real difficult time. We ask, God, that you would bring hope. We pray you would bring encouragement. We pray you would give an extra measure of faith. And we pray for a season now where there would be healing, where there would be transformation, where there would be life changes, God, that would bless everyone involved, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, children. And Lord, I also just thank you for Neighborhood Bible Church. Lord, bless this congregation, the leadership. Lord, help this place to to grow closer and draw closer to each other in love and in community. And help this church, with the anointing of your spirit and the love for one another, really shine brightly in Bakersfield and draw many other men, women, and children to the knowledge and the salvation of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was a blessing to be here. Thank you so much. And God bless all of you.